All right, Brewer fans, welcome to another episode of the Beer District Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and joined with co-host Josh Waldock. I do some writing for Wisconsin Sports Heroics, and we both are contributors at Reviewing the Brew. Today we have Jack Stern on the podcast to talk all things Christian Yelich, which weirdly I'm excited about because it's. I feel like I shouldn't be excited to talk about all the things that went wrong with him. So a uh, little mixed feelings there, but thanks for joining us today, Jack. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, we've had you on before, and your your insight is always, always great, and I know how much time probably went into this article that you had posted on Brew Crew Ball. Uh, so, you know, essentially, we're going to kind of dive into a lot of those things more, and I really like the construction of your article. You know, I think you start off talking about a lot of, you know, kind of like those fan myths, or, you know, what we kind of see to the eye and perceive, which I think was a great way to start, and you know, you start off hit right at, hitting it right on the head with ground balls and swinging less, which, you know, is that's what everyone thought was going on. But, you know, you dug into it and turns out that might not have been the case. Yeah. So I think I think I can speak for just about every member of, of the Brewers fandom. Everybody wants an answer for what in the world happened to Christian Yelich uh, in 2021. And by the end of the year, like you said, really, the two popular opinions that everybody had was. He's not swinging enough. He's not swinging at enough pitches in the strike zone. He's also not swinging enough overall. And when he is making contact, he's hitting too many ground balls. And those are pretty convenient explanations because if you look at the numbers from 2021 compared to when Yelich was at the height of his powers in his MVP form, he was hitting more ground balls this year and he was swinging less compared to what he was doing over his first couple of years in Milwaukee. But what stuck out to me as, as I was looking through all of this is when Christian Yelich played for the Miami Marlins, he hit a lot of ground balls and he didn't swing as much. In fact, the plate discipline metrics are, are pretty similar. If, if you were to pull them up, you would find that Yelich actually swung a little bit more on pitches in the strike zone than he did even in Miami. It was about, about a difference of three percentage points. So it was like 67% swing rate in the zone this year compared to about 64% over his career with the Marlins. And he was still hitting fewer ground balls than he did in Miami. Uh, over his time in Miami, his ground ball rate was consistently north of 60%. This year, it was about 56%. Uh, but the thing is, even in spite of all that, so when Yelich was in Miami, he had a very strong run to begin his career there. He slashed 290, 369, 432, which is good for a 122 rated, weighted runs created plus which, you know, for the people who might not know what that fancy number means, it means that all things considered, he was about 22% better than your average major league hitter. So the fact is that Yelich hitting a lot of ground balls and not swinging a whole lot didn't really hold him back all that much when he was in Miami. He was still very successful there. So the question then becomes, why did he end up struggling to a career worst year this season, especially when the, the swing rates and the ground ball rates, they were similar to what they were in Miami. In fact, they were even slightly better than what they were in Miami. So my thought then was, well, that can't be the answer. Maybe it's part of the explanation for why he wasn't an MVP candidate, but it's not really the root explanation for what happened in, you know, just tanking his overall slash line. Why did he bat 248? That's very uncharacteristic from a guy who consistently hit in the upper 200s in Miami and who won two batting titles in his first two years in Milwaukee. So the first step for me was, what I did was I went in and I kind of looked at what happened when Yelich hit the ground balls. Cause you know, it, it's one thing to say that, you know, the ground ball rates are similar, but you know, we're talking about a different period in time. Maybe Yelich was shifted more this year. So the ground balls just were not working for him like they were in the past. 
But it's interesting because when you pull up the numbers, Yelich actually batted 311 on ground balls in 2021, which was a career high. So from a pure results standpoint, that wasn't really tanking his overall production as much as people thought. Now, if you dive into it a little more, the, the quality of contact on some of these ground balls was not the same as what we're used to seeing. His average exit velocity was down. His launch angle was a career low, negative 17 degrees on ground balls. So that does mean that he was hitting, you know, more weak choppers than he had in years past. But he also was able to balance that out a little bit because he's still a really fast guy. His infield hit percentage was a career high. It was 7.7%. So he's still able to use his speed to help him there, even if he's hitting weaker choppers. Obviously, you'd like to still see him hitting the ball a little bit harder on the ground. But the bottom line is hitting the ball on the ground did not hurt him as much as everybody seemed to think. In fact, it doesn't even look like it was that big of an issue. The interesting thing is more of the damage came when he was actually elevating the ball, which is what a lot of people were complaining about him. They were saying, elevate the ball more. And again, the fly ball rates were not quite what we had seen in the first couple of years. But the thing that really stood out to me is what happened when he was hitting line drives. Christian Yelich was one of the unluckiest line drive hitters in all of baseball in 2021. Yelich batted 567 on line drives this year, which was by far a career low. Normally he's, you know, in the upper 600s or over 700 on line drives. So when you see that number, the first question is, well, maybe he wasn't squaring up those line drives like he normally was. You know, maybe these were softer line drives, you know, that were just getting hit into the infield, into the infield shift. He just wasn't squaring it up. He wasn't getting the same distance on it that he normally does. But that was not the case at all. He was hitting these line drives as hard as he's ever hit them before. His average exit velocity on line drives was 98.2 miles an hour. And if you go in and you were to go into StatCast and pull up your leaderboards, what you're going to find is, Christian Yelich had one of the highest average exit velocity out of any player who was near the bottom in batting average on line drives. So Yelich's batting average on line drives was like the 20th lowest among all qualified MLB players. But he was one of only two players in that list, the other being Fernando Tatis Jr., to average at least 95 miles an hour on those line drives. And he was averaging, again, 98. And if you were to go and look at the metrics on lineouts, Yelich's average exit velocity on lineouts was nearly 100 miles an hour. That was the sixth highest out of any player who lined out just 10 times last year. So he was one of the unluckiest hitters in line on line drives. And again, you don't you don't only want to hear the, the bad luck explanation for it, because I understand that that gets tired after a while when you're just not seeing the results. But, you know, it was something that Bill Schroeder kept coming back to time and time again. You know, he was always talking about, oh, man, Christian has squared up a lot of balls this year, hasn't had a lot to show for it. And, you know, in the moment, you're kind of like, OK, it sounds a little bit like he's just making excuses. But when you look at the numbers, it actually was the case. When Yelich was hitting the ball hard, he wasn't getting a lot to show for it. Now, to come back and kind of circle back to some of the plate discipline metrics for Yelich, uh, again, he was actually swinging at more pitches in the strike zone than he did over his time in Miami. So in theory, if we're putting so much weight on swinging, Yelich should have been in a position to perform better than he did in Miami from a plate discipline standpoint. And you add that on top of the fact that he was laying off of more pitches outside the strike zone than ever before. I mean, this was arguably the best that Christian Yelich's ball strike recognition has ever looked. And that was something that David Stearns alluded to in his first meeting with the press after the end of the season. And you go in and you look at how did pitchers approach him this year too? It really was not a whole lot different than what we saw when he was in Miami. The only slight difference is that he was seeing more pitches in the strike zone in even counts compared to when he was with the Marlins. But that's it. I mean, overall, the approach against him is very similar. There are just so many things here. 
that look a lot like they did when he was with Miami. However, from a plate discipline standpoint, there is one key difference, and that was the fact that his swing and miss rate on fastballs in the strike zone jumped by about five percentage points. And I think that kind of lines up with what we were seeing with the eye test. He was just missing some hittable pitches. And, you know, that number doesn't even include all the fastballs down the middle that we saw him fall back, you know. So he was definitely missing some pitches. There's definitely something off mechanically. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it was only bad luck. Uh, but the fact is, it really was not the two factors that a lot of people thought it was. Again, it, a lot of people thought, you know, he's hitting too many balls on the ground. He's not elevating the ball enough. He's letting too many pitches go by for strikes. Uh, but the fact is, it's looking a lot more like that was just a perception issue. So you think about it a little bit here. If Yelich is having the kind of season that we've become accustomed to seeing, and he's looking like an MVP like he has over the last couple of years, you know, before 2021 happened, you know, we're not going to be sitting here and microanalyzing every single strike that he takes. You know, we're not going to be microanalyzing every single ground ball that he hits or every time he grounds out. But, you know, when the results are way down, those things are going to stand out to you a little more. And so I think that's what really kind of created this narrative that these were the things that Yelich was doing wrong. But I think when you look at it, at the end of the day, it really wasn't any problem with his approach. You know, it wasn't that he was hitting too many ground balls necessarily. It wasn't that he wasn't swinging at enough pitches. You know, really the real reasons that Yelich had such a tough year for his standards is simply because he was really unlucky when he did square up the ball, which was still pretty often. And he was also just missing more hittable pitches than he's he normally misses. So I think at the end of the day, if the Brewers are going to fix him, obviously the first step is to know what's wrong. And once we get a better idea of what's wrong, then we can come up with a plan for fixing it. And it's really looking like this is nothing more than, you know, some kind of small mechanical change to get his timing back on, get him dropping the bat head on the ball better, barreling up some more balls again. And I really think that's all there is to it. And then after that, you get some better luck on line drives because you can go through and you can. I've watched the video of every single line out that Yelich hit this year. Almost all of them are like bullets hit at outfielders. You know, you got guys making leaping catches, center fielders running down a ball in the gap that not a lot of guys are going to catch. I mean, it, it's legitimately bad luck. So I think if they can just figure out what small mechanical tweak it's going to take to get his timing back on track and get his swing path back on track. And then from there, you know, you can get some better luck. And I, I think the odds of Christian Yelich having a really solid 2022 are, are pretty good. Yeah. First of all, I just want to say I really enjoyed your article. Like it was really insightful. Like I think, and I think it kind of helped me too to change like the way, cause I kind of had assumed that he was just grounding out more, but no, I mean, you did a great job of kind of pointing out the context of that. So just going to ask a question that I'm sure Brewers Twitter will love. Now that Andy Haynes is gone, is like Yelich good? Is he back to back to 2018 Yelich? <laughs> I think a lot of people on Brewers Twitter have overstated any kind of impact that Andy Haynes had on Christian Yelich's performance declining. Uh, if you really want my take on it, I think it has something to do with either his back or his knee. My guess mm -hmm. is, you know, the knee injury or the back injury led him to make some sort of subconscious adjustment that he didn't even know, something he didn't even know he was doing to favor, you know, that back or that mm -hmm. knee, and that kind of screwed up his timing a little bit. Again, I'm not, you know, I'm not a professional coach or anything, but uh, that's my two cents on, you know, what happened more from a mechanical standpoint. But, but once again, I, I don't think that Andy Haynes had a whole lot to do with it. I mean, if you want, you can pick on him for not really being able to fix Yelich and get him back to what he's used to doing. 
But, you know, I, I think the standard for Andy Haynes was a little bit unfair in kind of the way that people were evaluating him. And, you know, I don't mean to segue too much off the topic of Yelich here, but, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that there were guys who struggled when Andy Haynes was here. You know, you talk about Jackie Bradley, Keston Hira, you know, even Travis Shaw during Haynes' first season in Milwaukee and again in 2021. Uh, but there were also some guys who had the best years of their career with Andy Haynes' help. You know, we talked about Luis Arias. Andy Haynes suggested that he start doing that lean back before the pitch, you know, to help keep his shoulders level and to keep his bat path going through the zone. And that really helped him. He hit 23 home runs this year, and he was arguably as good offensively as Eduardo Escobar was this year. Uh, and you look at Avisel Garcia, too, a guy who a lot of people for a long time raved about him having that raw power and having the tools. Andy Haynes did some work with him. He got him, you know, seeing the breaking ball better, hitting the breaking ball better. Uh, and Avisel Garcia had arguably the best year of his career as well. So at the end of the day, I mean, Andy Haynes is a pretty average hitting coach, I think. You know, some guys... It worked out. Some guys, you know, the communication just didn't seem to flow as well. Some guys just couldn't perform. Um, at the end of the day, maybe it helps to get a fresh voice in there, um, you know, and maybe that helps for Yelich too. But at the end of the day, I, I don't think the hitting coach was really the factor, you know, in Yelich struggling. And it's also not the factor in getting Yelich back. Yeah, I agree. I think the, it's easy to make coaches into scapegoats when things don't go right. Yeah, it is. But I mean, I'm going to circle back to like 2018, you know, when Andy Haynes was here. I'm, I'm remembering an instance around the All-Star break in 2018. He made he made an adjustment with his hands. I can't remember exactly what it was. Maybe he dropped him a little bit lower or something like that. I remember like even Adam McKelvey was talking all about it. So obviously Haynes or Haynes had a, a play in that. Um, then I had a fan question on Twitter was saying, did you notice any, you know, mechanical tweaks in Yelch's swing this year, which I, I can't say I did, you know, I'm not analyzing it all or anything. Um, but, you know, obviously we were not breaking down the film either, but I feel like, you know, in 2018, you know, the evolution of stat cast and spin rates and everything was really kind of starting to pick up, you know, around that time pitchers were starting to throw higher in the zone um, with rates, you know, have gone up and up each and every year since then. And you think of just like a batter's, you know, path through the zone. How does that affect, you know, how he's hitting these fastballs? You talked about him missing fastballs and, you know, not including the ones he fouled off. Like, I don't know, is there some adjustment where maybe he needs to go back to, you know, wherever that hand position was in Miami? I don't know. I don't remember the exact details, but that was one thing that, that kind of came to, to my mind anyway. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it can just be those little things like that. And I think especially, you know, and again, I'm not speaking as a professional coach or anything, but by the time that these guys get to the MLB level, they got a pretty set idea of who they are. I think it was it was Pete Rose who said, don't change your swing too much. Your swing is what got you to the big leagues. And that's true. I mean, these guys, they're great athletes. They're great hitters. There's a reason they're here, especially in Yelich's case. I mean, he is still a very well-established, successful major league ball player, including at the plate. And so you, you don't want to tweak too much because then you really run the risk of, of messing stuff up for good. And then you're really struggling to recover from that. Um, but again, you know, it could be something simple like the hands, you know, just moving them very slightly because it, it's those very little changes around the edges, I think, that can make a big difference for a guy. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think I want to kind of backtrack a little bit. You're talking about the grounders and kind of like the quality of contact on grounders, like he used his speed a lot more this year. I, I think in your article you quoted he had the highest like infield hit percentage out of his entire career. 
Um, so, you know, then obviously I'm a baseball savant guy. So I went back and, and kind of looked at some of the numbers you were using and how they're looking on baseball savant. And, you know, Yelich topped the ball the same amount of time in 21, essentially it did with the Marlins. He was at 43% this year and it was between 40 and 42% in 16 and 18. Um, you know, it was just kind of like that quality of contact was the for the higher choppers, he had to use his legs, whereas opposed to ground balls were hit a little bit harder getting through the zone. So, you know, I know we mentioned that he was getting unlucky with these line drives, but, you know, that I feel like that might be concerning or, you know, if he if he finds some mechanical tweak, maybe next year we see a, a change and, you know, more of that shift towards the harder grounders, if that makes sense, because you don't want to rely on his legs. He's not going to be that fast forever. <laughs> Right, right, exactly, and and that that's the big disclaimer with the ground balls. Obviously, he, in terms of just getting hits, he was he succeeded at that as well as ever. But again, he this was these were not the same kind of ground balls that we're used to seeing him hit. And I think I had a video in my piece, you know, a video of him, you know, shooting a ground ball through the hole on the right side in Miami, and then a video of him hitting a chopper in the infield that he was able to leg out against the Rockies. I think Trevor Story struggled to come up with the ball. Obviously, you don't want him to be relying on his legs that much, especially as he gets older, because the speed is going to go as he ages. But again, I think we're going to find too, as he's getting more hits on line drives, which I fully expect to happen and fly balls as well. He was pretty unlucky on fly balls too. He had one of his lowest batting averages ever on fly balls, despite continuing to hit fly balls pretty hard. Uh, I think we're going to find that that's not going to matter quite as much, you know, splitting hairs like that. Obviously in an ideal scenario, you do want to see him, you know, get back to hitting his ground balls a little harder. And I think some of that comes too with, you know, the same changes that they're going to look to make, you know, to get his bat path improved and his timing improved, you know, so that he's not missing these hittable fastballs. You know, that's something that's going to carry over into that as well. Because if your swing path is looking better and you're feeling more comfortable at the plate, you know, it's going to affect everything. Everything's going to get better. So just to, you know, break out your crystal ball a little, um, I'm a big Fangraphs guy, so they actually have their steamer projections out for 2022 already. So just kind of looking over the projections for Yelich, I mean, they have him a 119 WRC plus total a uh, three WAR player, um, getting his slash. I mean, a 368 on base, 454 slugging, 353 woba. I mean, just kind of gut reaction. Do you think that that is? A reasonable expectation for him. I mean, return to kind of the what he was with, back with Miami in the higher one teens, lower one twenties for WRC plus. I, I definitely think that's doable. And if you ask me, I think he's going to do a little better than that too. I'm looking at the slash line here. They got him projected for, like you said, the on base percentage is great. Uh, the batting average is down to 256 yet though. And I think mm-hmm. again, that's just. I think they're putting a lot of weight on what happened the last couple of years in that department, but I really think that, you know, you're going to see better results there. Another thing I'm noticing too here, they have him projected for only a 311 batting average on balls in play. His career batting average on balls in play is 351. Uh, and again, they they've been they've been shifting on him a little more, but you know, if he's if he's still hitting line drives, you know, and even, even just, you know, the kind of batted ball metrics he had this year as far as the divide between ground balls, fly balls, line drives. I just don't see his batting average on balls in play falling to a point where it's that low. Um, so I would say 119, That that's definitely doable. I would probably say a little better, probably more around 125 to 130 weighted runs created plus. Yeah, that's kind of what I was hoping for, just kind of like as going into the offseason, looking at his stuff. Thing. I mean, I think he can do a nice rebound, and I think he can ultimately – 
turn into or return to the productive player where his contract is well warranted. Right. And and I think one thing that's very important to remember here is, you know, this whole time, and this is kind of really where I started with my piece, everyone's talking about why isn't Yelich MVP Yelich? What do we got to do to get him back to MVP Yelich? What do we got to do to get him back to what he was doing down the stretch in 18 and into 19? You have to realize those were always going to be the two best years of Christian Yelich's career. The Brewers knew that full well when they gave him this huge deal. Obviously, they weren't expecting him to drop down to, you know, a league average bat right away like he has uh, in 2021. But again, I don't think they, they were not expecting, you know, eight war from him every single year and like, you know, a 175 weighted runs created plus and almost, you know, a pace of over 50 home runs every year. And and that's the thing. It, that, that's not what Yelich has to do to be worth his contract. You know, if he's mm-hmm. on average, you know, a four to five win player, you know, I think he's that that's going to more than pay for the deal that he signed. I mean, you look at his contract, too, in comparison to the deals that other guys sign in larger markets. You know, I understand Yelich's deal is not cheap, especially for, you know, a small market like Milwaukee. But Yelich is he's not going to be averaging over 30 million dollars a year on this deal. He's averaging more around 25, 26 million a year versus you look at some of these bigger contracts where guys are being paid 35, 40 million now. So, you know, he doesn't have to be you know, like the best player in the National League to be worth his deal. And I think that's very important to remember, especially as we're kind of trying to set a standard for what the expectations need to be for him moving forward. Yeah, yeah. that makes total sense. Yeah, it does. Expectations mean just a lot. And yeah, we all we all love to see him slug over 40 home runs a year, but I don't know, probably not going to happen. <laughs> um, another fan thing that I see a lot is, you know, why was Yelich so passive on like the first pitches in at bats? Because we already talked about how, you know, essentially this year, his batter eye was pretty much the best it ever had been really the last two years. He's, you know, from like a drawing walk standpoint, he's elite at drawing walks. He seems to be seeing the ball really well. Um, and then I go to first pitch swing percentage, uh, you know, in his early Marlins days, 2016, 2017, 18 and 19% this year, 22%. So, you know, technically he swung a little bit more at the first pitches this year than his early Marlins days, but in his MVP years, <laughs> it's closer to 28, 29%. So I don't know, something doesn't quite add up there to me, kind of, you know, if he, with these elite walk rates, I feel like he's seeing the ball really well. Why is he not being as aggressive on that first pitch? I don't know if, if you guys have any thoughts on that at all. Um, I mean, it could come down to he's just not feeling as comfortable in the box. So he's not, you know, feel if you're not feeling as comfortable, you might want to get in there. You know, you want to get a feel for what you're looking at first. You might not pounce on the first pitch uh, versus, you know, again, when he was at his very best, you know, when you're that comfortable in the box and you feel like you can hit anything that's thrown at you, I feel like, naturally you're going to be a little bit more aggressive uh, and some of it too you know with how good he was over those you know those couple of years I mean his line of thinking might be if guys fear me that much the first pitch might be the best pitch that I get to hit you know and I think that just a couple of factors like that that all play a role in you know deciding to swing at the first pitch more uh, but again the thing is he was really not even this year he was not super passive on first pitches a 22 percent you know almost 23 percent first pitch swing rate that's not really as low as a lot of people would think it is, especially when you compare it to what he was doing in Miami. So I do think, you know, if they can get him feeling a little better in the box, get that swing mechanics and the bat path fixed a little bit, you know, make whatever that minor adjustment is that needs to be made. I think you could easily see that swing back up a little bit and you could, you could see the overall swing metrics, you know, kind of swing back up a little bit too. He's going to offer it more pitches as he's feeling more comfortable in the box. 
Yeah, I think that's definitely something. I mean, I'm honestly surprised that there hasn't... Like, I was kind of expecting, like, not to get all, like, conspiratorial or anything, but I was kind of expecting there were going to be some, like, some announcement within a week of the season that Yelich was undergoing further back treatment because it just never seemed fully right, if that makes sense. But, I don't know, I mean, hopefully it's just an off-season of adjustments and get we'll get his back back to normal. Yeah, and Bernie yeah, exactly. Pleskov uh, came out with an article a couple days ago talking about how stiff Yelich looked. I mean, obviously you don't have, like, any numbers or anything to prove that, but I feel like every time the Brewers are saying the back's healthy, the back's healthy. But, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely one of those things where the more they say it, it's kind of like, why do they keep having to say this? But, you know, again, that's one of those things where, you know, it's completely speculation. And there's mm-hmm. the, the thing I like to remind people, it, I, to be honest, I'm not 100% convinced that the back was feeling, you know, all that great for the rest of the year. I mean, he played almost every day for the rest of the year after he came back for the second time. But again, who knows what he was playing through. All of these guys are playing through bumps and bruises, especially as you get into the second half of the year. Uh, but again, it's th- those kind of things are very difficult to see, especially from the perspective that we have where we're either just you know watching on TV and we're only getting a very limited sample of what's happening in the field and not behind the scenes, or if we're at the stadium and then you're not exactly seeing close up or having the best angle of what's all going on. Uh, So it's one of those things where, you know, I understand people who are skeptical that, you know, maybe he was still hurt and maybe that's a possibility. But uh, at the end of the at the end of the day, that's really all we can do. We can just give our best guess. We don't really have, you know, a whole lot of evidence at our disposal uh, to be, you know, making that determination soundly whether or not he was completely healthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, so crystal ball time again. Actually, Josh, I'm going to put you on the spot with one of your old articles about Christian Yelich back. I think this is from June, um, talking about spin rate and if Yelich got spin rated. <laughs> um, I was looking through that this morning because obviously I think like much like when Jack wrote his your article here, I always found my, myself asking why, why, like especially with the fastballs. That just drives me crazy. Like that's what pitter or hitter should be hitting on or sitting on, and you should do most of your damage on those pitches. So I was like, well, did Christian Yelich get spin rated? And now you have the whole sticky stuff situation going on, and maybe spin rates are going down. You know, I don't know if I haven't dug into any of those numbers at all, at all. Um, but curious, um, maybe I guess Josh, if you want to start kind of what you saw in that article and then, then maybe we can go from there. Yeah. I mean, sorry, I'm just pulling it up right now. Um, one of the things that I was looking for with that, I mean, I think I was really curious as to, you know, cause you always kept hearing how spin rates were going up and up. And I was well curious kind of if that was one of the things like maybe his eye, he's wasn't picking it up, but I think. You know, kind of going back to the research you did, Jack, I mean, his batter's eye looked fine from that standpoint. Like, so I'm, I guess, kind of looking back at it, I'm starting to kind of question if uh, there really was an impact with that at all, if that makes sense. Just, I mean, I think, Jack, I mean, you pointed out that his eye looked just as well, or if not better, from the like from his career to this season and kind of comes down to a lot of line drives and some unluckiness yeah and and i think another thing to keep in mind too is you know the whole sticky stuff scandal didn't break till this year but this is not something that started in 2020 i can guarantee you the majority of pitchers across major league baseball were using sticky stuff in 2018 and 2019 as well you know when yellich was tearing the cover off the ball um 
you know, and, and maybe it is one of those things that there it was involved somehow. I, you know, it's it's tough to know for sure, especially because I don't have the numbers at my disposal. I know that that Josh looked into this a little more than than I've ever tried looking into it. Um, but my my gut reaction is that I don't think it was. I think it's I think it's a good question to ask. Um, I just I don't know if it had a huge result or a huge impact uh, either way, especially because I think that, you know, the impact and the the widespread usage of substances dates back several years. I mean, this is and really it's been something that's always been in the game. You know, you can even go back to the 80s. There were guys, you know, and, and back in the older days who were still using this anything to gain a competitive advantage. Um, and, you know, maybe it's possible that Yelich was seeing more, even more guys who used it, you know, this year. Um, but again, too, another part of it is after they cracked down on it and the spin rates dropped, you know, Yelch had that nice little mini hot streak in August, but they cracked down on it like back in June. And we didn't really see a dramatic upswing in his performance even after that stopped, you know, versus there were other guys like Kyle Schwarber went on a tear right after they banned the sticky stuff. So I think that's a case where it makes a little bit of sense. Well, maybe he was a guy who who really struggled against the high spin fastballs. But uh, uh, if you're just asking for my, my immediate reaction, I, I don't think that had a dramatic impact on, on Yelich's production. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm just kind of scanning his numbers quickly from the, from late June on. And they honestly, you know, don't look better. If anything, they actually look a little worse. So I'd have to agree that it's, you know, looking back on it, definitely probably, or definitely wasn't the main issue going on with him. Yeah. No, again, I think, though, that that's a very good question to ask. You know, I think that's that's one of those things, especially, you know, considering what was going on around the league at the time. I think that's it's a very good question to ask. And it's a good possibility to explore, even if the results don't end up lining up with, you know, what we might have originally thought. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really kind of whenever you're going into, you know, what happened to Christian Yelich or whatever, you know, you can't go in with a mindset of I think this is what it is. You have to <laughs> look at the numbers and come to conclusions on your own, which you know, I think you kind of going back to his Marlins days was, you know, that was pretty eye opening for me because uh, I, you know, completely I always look up, OK, why why can't we get him back to 2018, 2019? But like you said, expectations are, are kind of a big key there. And, you know, if we can get him back to say around where he was with the Marlins, I think I think that would be good and live up to that contract like you were saying earlier. So I don't know. Do you guys have anything else to add on Christian Yelch at all? Just hope he's hoping for a better, better <laughs> next six seasons. I, I, I think we're going to see some improved <laughs> production for sure, by by quite a bit. So, I'm I'm pretty up op- after after the stuff that I looked at. I'm I'm more optimistic than I was before because the big thing that I came away with is he really does. I don't think he has to change a whole lot. I think it's just like I said, there's some sort of minor mechanical tweak he's got to make, and that's going to get him back to making more contact, especially on fastballs. Uh, and then again, from there, you know, you just get, you know, even anywhere close to the kind of results he's normally had when he squares up the ball. I think we're going to be looking pretty good for the next several years. Yep. So no new batting stance or Trent Grisham grip on his bat next year. Nothing crazy like that. So <laughs> no, no, nothing too exaggerated. Just just keep it simple. <laughs> yep. Well, thanks for joining, Jack. I appreciate your time and, and willingness to come on. Before we get out of here, can you just self-promote yourself and uh, where we can find you on social media and who you write for and all that stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find uh, some of my takes on the Brewers on Twitter at Baseball7310. I'm very active over there. Uh, and you can also find, you know, my written work, some of my longer, more in-depth stuff 
that's up at Brew Crew Ball. That's where I publish the Elk article. Um, I also do a little bit of writing for Pitcher List, too, on the side, where I cover more players across the league, not just Brewers. So those are a couple different places where you can find my content. All right, perfect. Thanks for hopping on. Yeah, yeah thanks for on. having me, guys.